0: Alright, we come today to uh, Daniel chapter 7. In our study of this amazing and unique book, Daniel chapter 1 through 6 was primarily a history of Daniel's time in Babylon. It was kind of chronological, and you know what I mean by that, just step by step, year by year. Uh, Daniel chapters 1 through 6 was kind of chronological and just viewed the, the high points the defining moments of Daniel's life in Babylon in the order in which they happened. But when we come to chapter 7, Daniel records for us here and through the remainder of his book, chapter 7 all the way to chapter 12, basically four visions that God gave to him that are prophetic. These last six chapters of Daniel are prophecy, Bible prophecy. It is a revelation from God regarding the times of the Gentiles. You may remember that phrase. We used it when we spoke uh, on chapter Uh, 2. The times of the Gentiles began when Nebuchadnezzar overran Judah and the city of Jerusalem. They were never again a totally independent sovereign nation. Even after they returned to the land 70 years later, the Jews were dominated by, uh, by Gentile nations for about 650 years, and then the Romans destroyed Jerusalem. <clears throat> so Jerusalem was, as Jesus put it in Matthew 24, was going to be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. God's prophetic clock, of course, has always been ticking, but God's prophetic clock became much more obvious to Bible students in 1948 when the nation of Israel once again declared itself a sovereign nation and reestablished their nation in their ancient homeland, and then we began to see and understand more clearly the writings of the Old Testament prophets. Yet things are happening just as God said that they would, and our eyes continue to be more and more open to see these Bible, these different things that God God had forecasted that are all coming to pass. Many people today, many people that you will talk to, they question the Bible. Sometimes they mock the Bible. And so this has led us to look for ways to defend the Bible. We call it apologetics. Uh, the, The defense of the faith. And some folks might say, well, you know, the Bible is true. I know the Bible is true because it changes lives. That is true. When people obey what God says in his word, their lives will change. Some people say, well, I believe the Bible's true because there are sci- scientific statements in the Bible that describe, you know, the water cycle and seasons and, and all and ocean currents and all kinds of other things that, that ancient man could not have known, yet it's in the Scriptures. So we say, you know, a, a book that makes those kinds of scientifically accurate statements must be from God, and it must be true. We could say that all of the discoveries of archaeology demonstrate that the Bible is true. And all of those things are all correct. But the most powerful verification that the Bible is true and was given to man by the sovereign creator of all things, the most powerful verification of all that is fulfilled prophecy. When the Bible says a certain thing is going to happen, and it happens precisely and right down to minor details, we have to recognize that no one could know that, and no one could say that, and no one could make that happen except an all-knowing, all-powerful, eternal God. No human wisdom or knowledge could forecast these things so accurately, so precisely. I've quoted to you this passage on a number of occasions. Uh, we studied it when we were doing our series on Isaiah 40 to 46 a, a couple of years ago. Many of you are familiar with this passage because I quote it to you periodically. Isaiah 46, 9 through 11. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. The last part of verse 11 says, God says, Indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. So prophetic portions of Scripture display the the infinite mind of God. We see the creative, incomprehensible genius of God on, on full display. God is eternal. God is omniscient, meaning He's all-knowing. He is omnipotent, meaning He's all-powerful. He has designed His eternal plan, and then He's making it happen. He declares from ancient times things that are not yet done, that passage says. He knows the end from the beginning, and He knows all of that because He is eternal. I've heard some people say, even I've heard some preachers say, talking about God looking into the future. Uh, and they, they say he knows the future because he can see into the future. And, and okay, I, I get that. I mean, I think I understand what they're, what they're trying to say. But, you know, God doesn't really look into the future. He's already there. He doesn't have to get out his eternal binoculars and look down the corridors of time, as, as some say, and sort of look into the future. God, God's already in the future. He is not bound by time. I think I've explained to you before, God actually created time. Well, When He set the sun in the sky, and the moon in the sky, and the stars in outer space, and He made the earth spin, and He started the cycles of days and nights and months and seasons, God was creating the system that we use to mark the passing of time. So so he doesn't gaze down the corridors of time and look into the future. He's not even existing within the boundaries of of, of a created time. He's simply unfolding his eternal plans, revealing his eternal plans, uh, uh, one piece at a time to we humans for our benefit and for his glory. So that's what he's saying in Isaiah 46. I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done. He says, I have spoken it, I will bring it to pass. I have purposed it, I will also do it. So So the infinite eternal omniscient omnipotent incomprehensible brilliant genius of our sovereign creator is on full display in bible prophecy and in its fulfillment there is no better proof of the truth of god's word the bible than fulfilled prophecy and this is precisely what we find in the seventh chapter of daniel We have here a a panoramic overview of the times of the Gentiles, the great kingdoms and empires of the world from Daniel's day right up to the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ on this earth. It is a parallel vision in in many ways to Nebuchadnezzar's dream that we saw back in chapter 2. We can't possibly cover everything that's in this chapter in one sermon. And so we're going to be looking at it for a couple of weeks, maybe a third week. We're going to read verses 1 through 18 today, and then we're going to focus on the one great theme of the vision. We'll come back and fill in some of the blanks next Sunday and possibly the week after that even. Well, we're going to just read the first 18 verses, and then we want to focus on this great, incredible, majestic theme of this this whole chapter. Daniel 7, verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream, telling the main facts. Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea." And four great beasts came up from the sea, each one different from the other. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. And suddenly another beast, a second like a bear, it was raised up on one side, it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and they said thus to it, Arise and devour much flesh." After this I looked, and there was another like a leopard which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. We'll talk about these beasts actually next week. But after this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. He didn't even know how to describe it with an earthly beast. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. If you've read the book of Revelation any time recently, there should be little lights going off in the back of your brain. We'll talk about it more next Sunday. I watched until thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened." I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain, and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion, and glory, and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near to one of those who stood by, and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me, and made known to me the interpretation of these things, Those great beasts which are four are four kings which arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. If your brain isn't totally fried yet, hang on with me. We're going to be looking at some of these great things here. You think, wow, what a dream. What a dream. Okay, We see in verse 1, Daniel had this vision in the first year of Belshazzar. So chronologically, this vision fits between chapter 4 and chapter 5. We we might wonder why God revealed this to Daniel right at this time. Well, I know many of you know from Genesis 12, right up to the time of the Babylonian captivity, Israel had believed that God had special purposes in mind for them as a nation. They were convinced that God had set them apart and that God would enrich them and bless them and pour out His loving kindness on them forever and that they would reign in a kingdom with the Messiah. Now they had sinned to the point that God had allowed them to be taken as captives because of their sin. Their land was in shambles. Their temple was destroyed. The walls of their city were broken down and the question naturally would come to their minds, has God forsaken us? Has God decided to, to void his original promises and intentions, and are we now being set aside and God threw us out and he's done with us? From the human perspective, it must have looked to them as though God was through with them as a nation. But God was not through with Israel. There had to be a 70-year purging, a 70-year judgment. There would have to be some kind of restoring and rebuilding, but God had not permanently set them aside. And so God gives them, in the midst of this time of judgment, He gives them this word from the Lord through Daniel that there still would be a glorious and marvelous future for Israel. He writes it down so everyone would be able to see it and read it and understand it. He says, I wrote down the dream telling the main facts. There are many parallels to chapter 2 here. The same world empires viewed a little differently, but the same ones, and as I said, we'll talk about them more next week. But what is the theme, the main theme of this vision? It is the coming of the promised King and Savior and the establishment of His eternal kingdom. That's the theme of the vision, that after all of the Gentile empires have come and gone, there is coming a final glorious king who is going to establish a glorious kingdom. And his kingdom and his rule are going to be unlike anything the world has ever known and unlike anything that the world has ever experienced. And if you look at verse 13, right in the middle of the chapter, verse 14, you will see the theme. He said, I was watching in the night visions. <coughs> Behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, He came to the Ancient of Days, they brought him near before him. To him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. That is the theme, that is the main point of the whole vision, is that the king is coming and he is going to receive the kingdom. And I want to share with you just one piece of it this week. We'll look at the more of it next week. The first, the, the crowning of, of the king. Secondly, the qualities of the kingdom. And thirdly, the timing of the kingdom. We're only going to make the first aspect today, the crowning of the king. We'll cover all three aspects before we move on to the next chapter. And we'll develop some more of these thoughts here. Way too much for one sermon. So first, and our thoughts today, the the, the crowning of the king. This is the crucial moment in the history of eternity, in the history of this world. This is the greatest event in all of God's time, and all of God's eternity, the crowning of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And by the way, this is not a new theme in the Bible. You can go all the way back to the 49th chapter of Genesis. And you will find the promise made that someone is going to come called Shiloh. And Shiloh, the word Shiloh means the one whose right it is. And Genesis 49 says when Shiloh comes, he is going to take the scepter. A scepter is the rod of authority that belongs to the king. So in Genesis 49, it was prophesied that someone is going to come whose right it is to take the scepter, the symbol of authority, and he is going to rule the world. In Samuel chapter 7, 2 Samuel chapter 7, God gives this message to King David. David had a great desire in his heart to build the temple to the Lord. Some of you are familiar with the story. God told him he could not build the temple. He was a man of war, but Solomon would be a man of peace and he'd have Solomon build the temple. But in the midst of the promise that Solomon would build the temple, God says to Samuel, God says, sorry, to David in 2 Samuel 7, 16, he said, I'm going to send somebody greater than Solomon, somebody greater than David, and I'm going to send one who will establish a kingdom and it will be an eternal kingdom. It will last forever and ever. So God restated that the promise had been made that the Messiah would come. He would establish a kingdom. You you get into the Psalms. you got Psalm 2, Psalm 45, Psalm 72, Psalm 110. All of those picture the coming King. Isaiah chapter 9, the great Christmas passage that we often preach from. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. You see, this promise is all over the Old Testament. The Apostle John in the book of Revelation, in chapters 4 and 5, those wonderful, powerful chapters, chapter 4 and 5 of Revelation, a lot of you are familiar with that. John gets this glimpse of the crowning of the king. And John says in chapter four and verse two, there was a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne, and he that sat on it uh, was was to look on him like jasper and a sardis stone. There was there was an emerald rainbow around the throne, and around the throne were twenty four uh, around the, the throne of God were twenty four other thrones, and on the thrones I saw twenty four elders sitting. They were clothed in white clothing. They had on their heads crowns of gold, and out of the throne proceeds lightning and thunder and voices and lamps of fire, and so forth and then john goes on to talk about all these kinds of angelic be hosts that that were there and they were crying out you are worthy O lord some of you know those those phrases there from chapter 4 and 5 of revelation as the angels and everyone in heaven crying out you are worthy O lord to receive glory and honor and power this is the apostle john's vision of the same event that daniel's describing here in chapter 7 And and in chapter 5 verse 1 he sees one sitting on the throne who is the eternal God and he has in his hand a scroll and and he's crying out for someone to take the scroll and step out and open the scroll and take possession of the earth it's coronation day and one steps up and it says in verse 5 of chapter 5 of Revelation he is the lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David He is a lamb as though it had been slain. In other words, he is a living lamb with the marks of sacrifice on his body. And the lamb comes out from behind the throne and he comes and takes the scroll out of the hand of God the Father. And you remember as soon as he took the scroll, if you're familiar with that passage, all the the music starts. And it says they sang a new song. And the angels begin to sing and the living creatures and the elders. And he says the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. And they, and they were singing and saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature, the scripture says in that passage, that is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, all of them, he says, I heard saying, blessing, honor, glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and unto the lamb. And they fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. I always tell you, you, if you can read Revelation four and five and not get a few chills down your back, I'll pray for you. I mean, it is just amazing when you picture what's actually going on there so john and daniel had a glimpse of the glory of the crowning of christ and that is precisely what we see here as daniel pictures the thrones and the ancient of days and you'll notice there in verse uh verse nine i watched till thrones were put in place plural more than one throne We don't know exactly what Daniel's seeing. Some think the thrones indicate the presence of the Trinity. Others think they were thrones for other angelic beings or for the 24 elders that John speaks of in the book of Revelation. But we do know that the focus of the scene is on the Ancient of Days. He's called the Ancient of Days in verse 9, verse 13, and verse 22. He's the one who is really, really, really old. Meaning he's the one who is eternal. He's the one, this one who is eternal is none other than God himself. The God the Father, the eternal God who sits in judgment, as it says at the end of verse 10. The court was set, was seated, and the books were opened. So God the Father in this scene that Daniel's seeing, he takes his place on the throne. He is the eternal one. He is the Ancient of Days. Some of you with an old time hymn singing church background, you may remember some of the old hymns that contain that phrase. Oh, worship the King, all glorious above, and gratefully sing his power and his love. Our shield and defender, the ancient of days, pavilioned in splendor and girded with praise. Or, Come thou almighty King, help us thy name to sing. Help us to praise Father all glorious or all victorious. Come and reign over us, ancient of days. It's a great name of the eternal God. And it only appears here in Daniel chapter 7 three times. Now let's read again verses 13 and 14. And let's see what happens next. I was watching in the night visions... And behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. You know the term, Son of Man used in this passage i saw one like the son of man daniel says that that term the son of man is used 107 times in the old testament usually referring to a prophet most always referring to a human being rather than someone divine but do you remember that jesus christ in the gospels called himself the son of man all throughout his earthly ministry There are about 85 recorded times in the Gospels that Jesus called himself the Son of Man. 32 times in Matthew, 15 times in Mark, 26 times in Luke, 12 times in John. It is his favorite title for himself. And I believe Jesus was reminding us of two things. He was reminding us, one, that he was one of us, yet without sin. He was truly human as well as divine. But I also believe Jesus was purposely linking himself with Daniel's prophecy. He frequently used this title when he was referring to his second coming. In Matthew 25, 31, Jesus said, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. There are many, many of these references. It, it, it's no accident that Jesus Christ, in speaking of His second coming, called Himself the Son of Man. He didn't call Himself King of Kings and Lord of Lords, or some other term. He called Himself the Son of Man, because I believe he was connecting himself with this prophecy of Daniel to show that he was, in fact, the fulfillment of what Daniel's talking about. In Matthew 24 and verse 30, Jesus said, "...then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory." So throughout the scripture, the clouds symbolize deity. He comes on the clouds of heaven with power and glory. Remember in the wilderness, God led the children of Israel with a pillar of cloud by day. The prophet Nahum, speaking of the judgment of God, it's a wonderful verse in Nahum chapter 1, I believe it's verse 3, says the Lord has his way in the whirlwind and the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. I think of that phrase a lot of times. We have fabulous skies here in Montana. And you look across some of these cloud formations, I, I, I think of those words of Nahum all, all the time. The clouds are the dust of His feet. First Thessalonians 4.17 At the rapture, we will be caught up together to meet them in the clouds. To meet the Lord in the air. Revelation 1.7, speaking of Jesus coming. He says, Behold, He comes with the clouds. In Acts chapter 1 when Jesus ascended into heaven it says he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. So we have in Daniel, in the Gospels, in Revelation we have the son of man coming with clouds and angels. He's the perfect god man, the son of man emphasizing his his humanity the clouds emphasizing his deity he's the perfect god man the perfect savior the perfect king and of course if the son of man is jesus christ and he is then the ancient of days is god the father and we see in revelation 4 and 5 that we mentioned earlier god the father gives the kingdoms of this world to jesus christ the lamb And Daniel has gotten the first glimpse recorded in Scripture of that incredible event. So to kind of wind up our thoughts today, I want you to hold your finger here in Daniel 7. And I want you to turn, if you would, to Revelation 11. Revelation 11. We're going to read the, the last little section of, of, of Revelation 11. <coughs> we're going to begin to read in verse 15. Revelation 11 and verse 15. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven. And here's a great phrase, saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Do you realize the power of that statement? All of the kingdoms of this world are going to be taken over by Jesus Christ. And in the tribulation period, Jesus Christ is going to pour out his judgments on this earth. And he is going to basically take over his planet. It's a great passage. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is, and who was, and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time of the dead that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, the ark of His covenant was seen in his temple, and there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, an earthquake and great hail. What an event! There's going to be an amazing fireworks show in heaven when the Son of Man is crowned king over his creation. He is going to reclaim what is rightfully His, and He is going to rule, and He is going to reign forever. Then back, if you would, to Daniel chapter 7. I hope you held your finger there. One more verse I want to show you in just a moment. But Daniel 7 reminds us that there is no authority like God's authority. There is no king, no president, no senator, no congressman, No prime minister, no government that is like the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ. And do you know who is going to be with Him in that kingdom? Back in Daniel 7, look at verse 18. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. The saints of the Most High are going to receive that kingdom. The word saint means holy one. We use it in a lot of different ways, but the the literal understanding of the word as it's translated in our Bible, saint, means holy one. So who is going to receive the kingdom? The holy ones who belong to the Most High God. You say, well, I'm in trouble, man. I'm not holy. You might be thinking if... If you knew every thought that has gone through my mind this week, I'd be sneaking out of here in in humiliation. Well, you know what? Join the club. We're We're all a bunch of sinners. But we can be sinners saved by the grace of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21, I think some of you know the verse. If you haven't, I would encourage you to memorize it and mark it in your Bible learn it. 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we could be made the righteousness of God in Him. That means God the Father took, took all of my sin and all of your sin and He put it on Jesus Christ on the cross. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So that we could be made the righteousness of God in Him. And see, Jesus took all my sin on the cross so that by faith, he can, my faith in what He did on the cross, He can give me His righteousness in return. He made Him who knew no sin, Jesus was perfect, to be sin for us so that we could be made the righteousness of God in Him. See, you can be a holy one. Not because of your holiness, but because of His holiness. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? I mean, do you have a forgiveness relationship with Him? If you do, you are, by the grace of God, a saint of the Most High. Don't be afraid of the future. You belong to the Son of Man, and you will spend eternity in His kingdom. It is coming. Let's pray. Lord, as we work our way through all of the the routines of life from day to day and week to week, we often forget not who we are, but whose we are. And Lord, we get, we get upset with the government and we get upset with people and we get upset in our jobs and we get upset with our circumstances and and there are all sorts of issues that just sort of trouble us and we get all rattled and, and, and we, we, we forget whose we are. We are saints of the Most High God by faith in Jesus Christ. And one day when the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever, we will be there with You. We will possess that kingdom. Not because of anything we ever did, but because of everything that You have done. Lord, help us to not be afraid of the future. Help us to not be disturbed by the problems and struggles and issues of this life. Help us to remember whose we are and what our future really is in the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in His name. Amen.